Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. We're back in our Raid the Darkness series and Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Superior to All. Join us in John chapter 3 verses 31 through 36. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Take your Bible out and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. That's where we are. I said, um, while you're turning, I think you can uh, do a couple things at once, right? There's a, in front of you, the black chair in front of you has a Bible in it. If you need one, you're going to need it today, all right? The Gospel of John, chapter 3, Raid the Darkness. Why Raid the Darkness? Because what we've already seen throughout this little journey through this gospel, that John writes this a little bit different. He's got, he, he goes about it so much different than the other gospel writers in the way that he presents Jesus and tells his story and features Jesus as, uh, and he wants us to see some things. In particular, he, I think he wants us to know, and, and what I've capitalized on, I guess, a little bit is that when it comes to sin, it cannot survive in the light. It needs the cover of darkness to survive and to, th- uh, to flourish. Have you noticed that? Lying and manipulating and cheating and, and sin of all kinds, right? All kinds of evil. It needs the darkness. It cannot come out into the light. The manipulation and the lying, right? It, 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 when it's in the light, it just burns up. And so Christ followers carry the light of Christ. And, and, and wherever Christ followers are, the darkness really can't survive. It really can't. And so that, that's what he's after. You know, at the beginning of this gospel, John has said... Um, a, a, a lot of things. But at the end, when you read through the gospel kind of in a 30,000-foot view, and I really want to encourage you to do this, should read through the gospel of John. In particular, just read it from uh, cover to cover, just from beginning to end. So you kind of get a zoomed-out picture, and then when you zoom in on things, they make so much more sense. So periodically, you should really read it just start to finish and don't stop. On verses, and sometimes even don't pay attention to chapter breaks and to the numbers of verses, right? Sometimes the thought is continued, but it's really dis- distracted and you kind of stutters your thinking a little bit just by putting verse numbers in there and chapter breaks. And just read it as, uh, from cover to cover. And so it, when you zoom back in, at the end of the, his gospel, John says, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why I'm writing this, so that you would believe. I'm, I want you to see Jesus as he really is so that that reality sits on you really hard. And the world that you live in and all these people that you're, um, you know, are, are, are in your life so that you might have life eternal. I want you to believe. All right. So that's the reason why we're working through the gospel. And John wants us to see the glory of Christ and believe and have eternal life. So, so we're going to read the, we're going to end up the, um, chapter three and it's taken a long time to get just through chapter three. I don't think that's all my fault, but it's some of it. (laughs) There's just so much there, right? And I said last week, I said, so we keep going at this pace. Five years from now, we'll conclude. <laughs> I'm not going to do that, I, I don't think. 
all right? But I want you to hang with me because it's so rich. There's so much there, right? So let's read now chapter 3 and end, uh, end it up, and we're going to start at verse 31. Here we go. John chapter 3, verse 31. The one who comes from above is superior to all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. The one who comes from heaven is superior to all. He testifies, you could say he speaks, about what, has, uh, what he has seen and heard. But no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has confirmed clearly that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he does not give the Spirit sparingly. The Father loves the Son and has placed all things under his authority. And the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. The one who rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. Okay, so now there's a a bunch of little things in here, and I'm a little fearful because I've already done this once today, um, that I'm going to get a little teachy. Does that make sense? So you're just going to have to kind of put on your um, note-taking thing and kind of just pay attention and, and focus on the Bible verses. And I am going to get a little teachy today. But I think it's really important because there's a lot at stake. What we're going to see here is just how much is at stake. Eternity and God's wrath. That's what's at stake. And John wants to clarify some things. And just like you should know and how much clarification you need sometimes... You know people in your life that need clarification that Jesus is not just a good teacher. He is fully God. He is full of the spirit of God. He has authority. He is superior. And he is ruling and reigning, whether you like it or not. But it's so hard for people to get past. Jesus is just a, a, a man and a good teacher and, you know, things like that. It's also really important to understand, right, um, I've said this before, that's, that, that it's really hard to get people saved until you first get them lost. We have to recognize that we are lost. Why do I need to be saved if I don't think I'm lost, right? So there's a lot of things that um, I think people misunderstand and they don't know and they have a concept of Jesus and they believe in a concept of Jesus, but there's so much difference there, right? Nicodemus, at the beginning of the, uh, of this chapter is one of those guys. Here's a guy who's an expert in the law. Here's a guy who knows the Old Testament. He's read it. He knows all the Sunday school tor- stories. He's a really good guy that people trust. People really like him. He knows a lot. He's a good lawyer of the law. He's a scholar of the law. All right? But he comes to Jesus at night because he's like, I don't want anybody to think that I don't know all the stuff. And I got some questions. I'm curious. I want to ask Jesus some things. So Jesus answers his questions before he can ever get them out of his mouth. And Jesus reaches back into the Old Testament and gives him stories that he's familiar with. Because he's like, I don't understand this whole, like, you know, rebirth thing. What do you mean? How how are we born again? How do you become? Anyway, he's got all the questions, right? It's amazing now at the end of the chapter how it all kind of comes back full circle. So... When you start here in verse 30, which John are we talking about? Because there's John the gospel author, John the Baptist, okay? 
There's, there's two Johns here. So who's talking? You know, when you, it, in chapter 3, it's, it, it's kind of hard to figure out. Well, who is this? Is, and, and Jesus, by the way. It seems like John is um, reflecting Jesus, and Jesus is uh, kind of doing the talking, and then it's like the gospel author, and then it's John the Baptist, and you're like, trying to keep it all straight. Who is it? Well, right here in the last six verses of John 3, starting at verse 31, John the Baptist has just said in verse 30, he must become more important while I become less important. This is a good thing, right? That was, I'm not going to go back and preach all those messages. But I want you to notice that the New English translation, that's what I teach out of, and that's the one that Paul used. <laughs> he closes, uh, the, the New English translation closes the quotations of John the Baptist at the end of verse 30 with quotation marks. All right, that means that the New English translators think that John, the writer of the gospel, starts talking in verse 31. Some versions continue uh, the quote from John the Baptist to the end of the chapter. There's just no way to actually truly be sure of all of that. Quotation marks are not used in the original manuscripts. So why am I pointing that out? Well, I, I think if you're paying attention and you're doing the work and you're studying God's word, you... I think you should be, pay attention to that because words mean things and language and all that kind of stuff. I think it's really important. Because, but here's the thing. In the end, it doesn't seem to make a lot of difference because, because if John the gospel writer is talking, he's taking into account what John the Baptist just said. And if he's still quoting John the Baptist, he's quoting him to make the point that he wants to make by what he chooses to record. So either way, we're getting the words of God inspired through the author, Okay. But I think language is a big deal, and I think it's important, and words matter, okay? And obviously, the punctuation matters, right? So, again, John is lifting up, lifting up or featuring or showcasing Jesus, and he wants us to see some specific things. So, in summary, here's what John gives us. Either John, by the way, okay? We get another expression of John Chapter 1, verse 14 and verse 16, let's just remind us, we get another expression of this. What did he say in John 1, verse 14 and 16? He says, now the word became flesh and took up residence among us. We saw his glory, the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth who came from the Father. And then verse 16, for we have all received from his fullness one gracious gift after another. That's John 1, 14 and 16. All right. So that's what's happening in every text in this gospel. It's, that's what he's doing, one way or another. Jesus is being featured as glorious, as majestic, as, as superior, as sovereign. He's full of grace, truth. That's what he's featuring, and authority, right? And as we are enabled to see him for who he really is, that's what John wants, one gracious gift after another just kind of like flows out and streams into our lives and we benefit from this. And so Jesus becomes for us the deepest reality in the world and that's what John wants. He wants Jesus to be the deepest reality in your world because if he is, it changes the way you view the world. Your, your lens that you look through is through Jesus. And that's what we need is a correct worldview. Is there a time in our life where we need a really good worldview? Because in my, in, in my opinion, which maybe it doesn't matter, <laughs> probably doesn't matter. In my opinion, 
Everybody is lying to us right now. Everybody. The whole world is lying. I don't care what it is. Are you struggling like I am to find the truth? I don't care if you're talking about viruses, vaccines, uh, politics, um, actually the supply chain, who's really responsible for why uh, fuel is so expensive, uh, uh, who started the wars anyway. I mean, are you having trouble figuring it out like I am? I, 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 the media, <laughs> the media, are you kidding? You think they're telling us the truth? I don't care who it is or what channel, right? Defund the media. Don't defund the police. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Come on. There is, there is, everybody's lying. That's, you know, but are you struggling even at school sometimes? We, we have a great school district in Vail. An awesome school district. And I mean, it's invading everything. Everybody's lying and, and, and it's really hard to find the truth. What we need is a great worldview, a lens to look through Jesus. That's who our deepest reality should be. That's what John's trying to do, right? He's saying, this is exactly who he is. And we must believe. So, so here, it, here it goes, right? That is what's happening in every text. Jesus is being featured, showcased as majestic, superior, sovereign, full of grace and truth and authority. And, um, and that's what he wants. So now, there's, there's three things. That I, I got three points. Imagine that. Um, from God, full of God, and ruling God, all right? And you can make notes underneath that. But so, so here we go. In John verse 3, verse 31 through 36, that's what he's, he's doing. And ultimately, I told you, there's a lot at stake here because <clears throat> Jesus is, is held up or showcased, so to speak, before us as coming from God and full of God and speaking and ruling as God so, uh, so that I... I think what Jesus wants to do is he, he wants to create a divide when it comes to eternity. There's a choice, all right? You have to choose. Um, and so <clears throat> there's a divide between those who confirm God as true in Jesus and those who confirm God as a liar. The one who has eternal life and the other... Uh, the one has eternal life and the other one remains under God's wrath. That's what I said, right? That's what's at stake. That's the summary of what's here in these verses. Now, there's a lot more, but let's start is with Jesus is from God. People need to know that. You need to know that. I need to know that. We got to have real confidence that Jesus is from God. That was, you know, Nicodemus who's read all the Old Testament inside and out knows it all. He's not realizing that Jesus is from God. That's what he needs to see and know. So here we go. Verse 31, the one who comes from above is superior to all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. The one who comes from heaven is superior to all. Verse 34, look at verse 34. The one, who, the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he does not give the spirit sparingly. That's a really interesting phrase. So in three different ways, basically, John tells us Jesus does not have his origin on earth, but with God in heaven. Three different ways he says that. And, and if you're going to help people understand that Jesus is from God, I think you've got to utilize some of the, you know, at least this thinking. In verse 31 at the beginning, he says, from above. 
In verse 31 at the end, he says, from heaven. In verse 34 at the beginning, he says, God has sent. So in the context of chapter 3, this can only refer to Jesus. He's talking about Jesus, okay? The one from heaven above. The one from heaven above. So to make clear what this distinction means, John contrasts everybody else in verse 31 with Jesus. Everybody else is not from above. Verse 31, the one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. So that would include John the Baptist and everybody else, right? The verse is literally, he who is from earth is from earth. The point here is the same as in John 3, 6, verse 6, where Jesus said to Nicodemus, what is born of the flesh is flesh, what is born of the spirit is spirit, right? So it's coming back around. In other words, everyone is born in a natural way, Nicodemus, through the flesh. And that's all we are, flesh, or as he says here, from earth, natural, earthly, not spiritual, with no supernatural life, just human and fallen and in need of rebirth. That's the point. Every person in this category is in this category except one person, Jesus. That's all of us. You see, this is part of how you get somebody lost and recognize their loss. There's only one person from above. Everybody else is from here. What are the implications of that, right? So he starts talking about, really, Jesus and Adam. We know about Adam from the beginning. Listen to this amazing explanation from Paul of what Jesus is saying here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 47 through 49. Watch this. He says, the first man is from the earth, made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the one made of dust, so too are those made of dust. And like the one from heaven, so too those are heavenly. And just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, let us also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Paul and Jesus see two categories of people, Adam and Jesus. One earthly and the other from heaven. Like John says, that's what John is saying. So we bear the image of Adam as his, and, and his sinful condition. We're sinful. Right from the very beginning, Adam is the head of the earthly human race. And all who believe in Jesus bear his image and his righteous condition. Jesus is the head of the new human race, the family of God. So a lot of times, you know, we refer to the church as the family of God. Or the the other language, a household of faith, a family of families. So Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 5, in, in, in a couple of verses, verses 17 and 19. He says, I like this, for if by the transgressions, or you could say sin of the one man, you know, Adam, death reigned through the one, you know, because we all descendants of Adam. How much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one, Jesus Christ? For just, as, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. Okay, this is how you lay it out. And this is what he wants us to see. And this is what he wants us to know. So who, uh, one who is infinitely different. So back to John 3, verse 31 because there's somebody who's totally different now. Verse 31, the one who comes from above is superior to all. Is that great language or not? 
That's the way you describe Jesus. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks about earthly things. And we know all about that. The one who comes from heaven is superior to all, though. All right. That's Jesus and the rest of us. What is born of the flesh is flesh. John 3, 6, right? So we went through this. So if the Son of God had not been sent from above, from heaven, from God, we would all remain in our sin and under God's wrath. God knows this and he made a way because we're sinful and we need a savior. Sin can't be in God's presence because he's perfect. He knows this. That's why he gave us his son to make us perfect. We're not good enough and there's nothing you can do to get good enough. So John's saying there's one who is infinitely different. He does not share in Adam's sin. He's not from earth. He's not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. And a good guy. Lots of people think this way. You know people that that think this way. And this is a misunderstanding of great proportion of actually who Jesus is. It's really important. Because the darkness, what's inside the darkness out there is that he's just like anybody else. Jesus is a good guy, great teacher. There's a lot of ways you can get to heaven. No, he's from above, from heaven, from God, and he has come into the world without sin on a mission to rescue sinful people like you and I. That's John 3, 17. All right, Jesus is full of God. That's the second point. Wow, you're at the second point already, Ben. Nice. (laughs) He's also full of God. So there's something very profound and very mysterious and very awesome at the end of verse 34 and the beginning of verse 35. So you got to read those verses and make the connection between the end and the beginning of the verses. Now, this is why I say sometimes, forget the numbers. I'm going to try my best to read it in a way that forgets the numbers and listen to the inflection in my voice. I'm going to do my best, all right? Watch this as I put verse 34 and 35 together. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word, the words of God. For he does not give the spirit sparingly. The father loves the son and has placed all things under his authority. The word sparingly is really important. Let me try it again. The one, for the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he does not give the spirit sparingly. The father loves the son. And has placed all things under his authority. He doesn't spare anything when it comes to his spirit. None of it. None. Right? Now, now, I, this is where I'm, I, I can't help it. I'm just going to get a little teachy. And, and I, I'm hoping to inspire you and motivate you to just do a little work on your own. Regarding the Trinity. The Trinity and the great iceberg that it is. Meaning, there's so much that you need to work at, right? Or the, otherwise, you're just seeing the tip of the iceberg, right? So I'm going to give you what I think here and then challenge you to just watch for it in other places. For he does not give the Spirit sparingly. What does that mean? It means that there's an infinite difference between the way the Son of God receives the Spirit of God and the way we receive the Spirit. There's a lot. Why? The difference is that he does not receive the Spirit sparingly from the Father. The way the Son of God receives the Spirit of God is measureless. 
It can't be measured. Why not? Because it is infinite. God communicates. He imparts. God the Father communicates. He imparts. He distributes his spirit on the Son in an infinite way, as much as there is of the Spirit of God the Son has. As many ways as he can have him, he has him in all those ways. As fully as the Spirit can be known and enjoyed in all that fullness, he knows and he enjoys the Spirit of God. Now, here's the question. Jesus says in John 4, 24, God is spirit. If God is spirit, what is his spirit? What is the spirit of this spirit being? <laughs> what does it mean for a spirit not to give his spirit sparingly to his son? And my answer is that verse 35 points to the answer. Here's why you got to connect those two verses. Look at verse 35. I think it speaks so much about God and the way he loves. <coughs> the father loves the son and has placed all things under his authority. So if you say, God doesn't spare any of his spirit, obviously, because the Father loves the Son and places all things under his authority. You see? God, who is spirit, gives his spirit to his Son without sparing any of his spirit. He gets it all. The Father loves the Son. Why does John follow the giving of the Spirit with the Son, with the loving of the Son by the Father? Because the love of God, this is the way the love of God is personified. I don't know if you've ever thought of the Holy Spirit that way. But the Spirit of God is the fully divine third person of the Trinity who personifies the love of God. Of all the places that God could choose to reside, live, or dwell, where does he choose to dwell in us? When you believe, right here, right here. That's how intimate he wants to be with us. I think it's a reflection of just how much he loves us. He chooses to dwell right here. The Holy Spirit of God. Now, Watch. In other words, the Spirit of God, the God who is Spirit, is love. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is love. And this love for the Son is so full, it carries so much of the fullness of the Father, that this love is Himself God, the love of God embodied, as it were, in the second person of the Trinity. So, so the Father's eternal love for the Son carries so much of Himself in it that this love is the fullness of deity. Fully God in the second person of the Trinity. <clears throat> As the Son is the eternal self-knowing of the Father, the Spirit is the eternal self-loving of the Father, the Holy Spirit of God. And this knowing and loving are so full of the Father that they, that they stand in eternity. They're, 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 they're in all of eternity without beginning as fully God. God the Son, God, and God the Spirit without end. The Son is the fullness of the Father as his perfect image, and the Spirit is the fullness of the Father loving this image, the Son. Oh, that's rich. Sounds a little complicated, but oh, I think this is big. So the second thing that John does in this little passage of Scripture is point us to the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, is not like us, not only in that he's from God, 
and that we're from earth, but also that he is full of God. He has the spirit unsparingly. All of God's love marshaled through his spirit. The Father has given him the spirit infinitely from all eternity. That is, he has loved him eternally with all that he is. And all that he is is the love. In, in this love is the person of the Holy Spirit. All of God is in the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, that's huge. All right, let's go on. You got another point, Ben. Jesus speaks and rules as God. I really like this too. He's featured or showcased not only as coming from God and full of God, but also as speaking and ruling as God. First he speaks, verse 32, he testifies, speaks. We heard oh, Liam's testimony after the first service out here being baptized. The little booger, he's got it. He's, he knows. He, he gets it. Awesome. Michael and Aaron, super proud. Grandma introduced him to like, hey, dude, you're sinful. You need a savior. He's like, I think I am. And now I'm going to get baptized and tell everybody I get it. Oh, it was so good. That's his testimony, his story. So in verse 32, it says, he, that's Jesus, testifies about what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. So who is this? He is the one who comes from above and is above all. So what he has seen and heard is what he has seen and heard in heaven. In God, he's speaking the words of God. Verse 34, look at verse 34. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. He's not speaking them the way I speak them. I depend on Jesus to know what God thinks in heaven, but Jesus is from heaven. He has the spirit of God, all of it, infinitely, it's measureless. He is from God and full of God, and he is God. So when he speaks, he speaks the words of God. When you hear Jesus, you hear God. And not only does he speak as God, but he rules as God. What? Yes. Look at verse 31. He rules as God. The one who comes from above is superior to all. Those are great words. Superior to all, meaning above them in power and authority in every other way. All things are under his authority. Look at verse 35. The father loves the son and has placed all things under his authority. So to have something placed under your authority by God is to rule it. To rule it, right? So John's lit, he's featuring Jesus, showcasing Jesus. He wants him to be seen as ruler of all things. That's why I like to say, listen, here's the implications of Surrendering your life to Jesus, you are swearing allegiance to the king who rules everything. Do not call Jesus Lord unless you are prepared to understand or know or to declare that he is master. Master means Lord, and you are allegiant, you, your allegiance rely, um, is um, to no other but him. You swear allegiance to the ruling king, Jesus. That's who, where your allegiance lies. Nobody else. See, you get a good picture of Jesus like that, changes everything, that, uh, um, your worldview, right? I'm looking through all of this. Jesus rules me. I live according to Jesus. He owns me. He's my ruler, my master. I'm his. 
So Paul said, he is before all things and in him all things are held together. He writes that to the church in Colossae. The Hebrew author says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know, he can just speak and everything changes. Lazarus, come out. Get out here. He's been dead to the point where he's stinking and smelling. And he walks out all wrapped up in all the burial clothes. Just speaks it. So what is John trying to do? Well, Jesus is from God. He's full of God and speaks and rules as God. We're from earth and we speak from the earth. Verse 31, right? Apart from him, we rule zero, nothing. The point, as always, to showcase Jesus' glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth, and to show that we need from the fullness exactly what he is full of, grace. We need the grace. Everybody needs the grace. I need the grace. Oh, I like... Now, now, what does this have to do with me? I like to do this. Okay, Ben, you've been pretty teachy. What has it got to do with me? Would you kind of pull it all together? All right, hold tight. Here it comes. Ready? Eternity is divided at Jesus, isn't it? Oh, it's divided at Jesus. So John shows us again, as he has over and over again, just through the first three chapters. Oh, my gosh. That right here in the presence of this Jesus, eternity is totally divided by Jesus. One person believes and confirms clearly that God's truthful. Another person disobeys, that is, refuses to believe in Jesus or on Jesus and makes God a liar. That's what this has to do with me and you in every single way, right? Verse 32 and 33. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has confirmed clearly that God is truthful. Jesus said to Nicodemus when he was baffled by this new birth, this rebirth, this born from above, or if you church I grew up in, born again, reborn, right? He says to Nicodemus, John 3, 11, I tell you the solemn truth. In other words, pay attention, dude. Give me your full, full attention. Look me in the eye. Here comes the truth. You, you came looking for answers. You got questions. Let me tell you the truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen, but you people don't accept our testimony. So you need to start listening. This is true and this is real. In other words, John means here, no one receives Jesus' testimony in their natural condition from earth. They got to be born from above. There has to be rebirth. But those who are reborn again or born from above believe his testimony and confirm clearly God is truthful. And he's truthful in the person of Jesus. So what does this have to do with me? Here comes the second one. Since Jesus is full of God, to receive Jesus and to believe Jesus is to say yes to God and all of his word. There's such a connection between Jesus and God that when he says yes, or that when we say yes to Jesus, we confirm clearly All that God is and all that God says. This is truth. This is who I am. So when the world is all lying or you can't even figure out if they're lying or not, where's the truth? 
It's in Jesus. We confirm clearly when we believe that Jesus is full of God. In our yes, we confirm clearly all that God is and all that God says. That's where all the truth is. I need that. You know, John, is he, he's an older guy in, in the, the small letter, 1 John. In chapter 5, John says in verse 10, the one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony of in himself, has Jesus in himself. And the one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has testified concerning his Son, Jesus. So the final, what does this have to do with me? The final effect of confirming God as true in Jesus or making God as a liar in Jesus is the difference between eternal life and eternal wrath, the wrath of God. That's what's at stake. That's why you got to help people know and why we must know and understand the gospel because that's what verse 36 says. The one who believes in the Son is eternal life. The one who rejects the son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. When you get done with that, if you want to stiff arm God, then you know what? It's actually on him because we're just responsible for presenting and explaining Jesus or presenting the gospel. God is responsible for the saving. So we know what our mission and our purpose is. Oh, I love it. It's rich, isn't it? Bow your head with me. Thank you, Lord, that your son Jesus is superior to everything, to all things. All things. Thank you that your servant John wrote all this so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that we could have real life in his name. Help that to become our deepest reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like to know more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.